Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part nine of our series, Fellowship of the King. Today's message is entitled, People of the Presence. We're looking at what it means to be people of God's presence, and what does it mean to experience God's presence in our everyday lives. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, this coming Saturday... 21st, we're going to be ha- joining downtown Covington with a celebration of Spring for Art by doing a block party right in front of the church. We will be showing art from several local artists inside the building, have a band outside, activities for the kids where they can make their own works of art. Ought to be a great time. Also, on April 29th, we're moving our Sunday service three blocks down the road to the Bogafalaya Park to have a church picnic potluck. So bring your best dish out there. It's going to be fun. We'll kick off with some worship at 1045 and hang out. So check our website for more details. Let's head to downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard for the talk. Thanks for listening. This week on NPR, there, there's a program called Fresh Air. Anybody ever heard that program before? Um, and on Fresh Air, it was interesting. They were interviewing a woman by the name of Tanya Learman, and she was she's an anthropologist, and she's not a Christian, and but she was fascinated by this question, this idea. A lot of Christians go around talking, particularly evangelical Christians, talk about this idea of having a personal relationship with God. And so, here's a person that is not a Christian, doesn't go to church. She's, she's really just trying to study, what the heck does this mean to people? How does this work? And so she decided to study a church for several months. And you know what church she landed on? A vineyard church up in, in uh, uh, Chicago, Vineyard Christian Fellowship in Chicago. It's a church of about four or 500 people. And she decided to spend months with this church just observing them, getting the people to fill out surveys and, and interview with her. And, and she was just trying to answer, what do you mean by this personal relationship with God idea? And, and how does this affect your life? And the interview was fascinating because you could tell, she actually published a book on this, by the way, and that's probably why the interview was happening. It's called When God Talks Back to the Evangelical Church. But I thought when I was listening to this this interview that it was going to be your typical thing where somebody comes on to talk about the church and then they were going to ridicule Christians for all their crazy beliefs. You've heard those stories before like, oh, these, they think they're hearing from God. They, they think they're hearing voices. That's sweet. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be one of those stories. And I was very shocked to, to hear as the interview progressed this woman began to talk of how many occasions in the church service she was moved to tears. She even said this, she actually experienced God. Now, this is a person who really had no belief in God. She wasn't a Christian. She wasn't a part of their church. She was trying to be an objective observer, but at some point she crossed the line unintentionally. Actually, looks like somebody else crossed the line (laughs) And met her. She says, I experienced God on a couple of occasions. She's like, and I don't really know what to do with that because I don't know where to put that. I don't really have any religious belief system, but I, I, I think if there is a God, I bumped into him. She also 
went on to describe how these people in the church were praying for each other and 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 how at the vineyard they 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 talked a lot about this and we do too about God's unconditional love that God welcomes you and accepts you just as you are and she said they were real big on that and and relationship with God well Terry Gross the lady interviewing her you, there was this one point in the interview where you could tell that she was kind of baiting her for a question and she says well okay I got to be honest I've heard a lot of Christians who talk about God loves you unconditionally, but honestly, some of the people who talk about God the most that way are the most judgmental people I've ever met. What were the people actually like that you hung around there at the Vineyard Church in Chicago? And she said, and so, you know, I I thought she's setting her up for one of these questions where this lady's going to, oh, yes, you know, the, the whole relationship with God, that's good, but the people were awful. No, she said, they were very welcoming she said, they all knew I wasn't a Christian, but none of them made me a project. They didn't try to convert me. They just accepted me into their, their group and, and let me just be a part. I didn't have to uh, sign on with all their beliefs to be a part of their community. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Actually, she said after attending this vineyard church in Chicago and studying, she ended up out in California and found a vineyard church out there and attended it. And, and I can kind of hear the backstory going on. I think God's actually doing something in her life and drawing her to himself. And she hadn't got it all figured out. But I think there's probably many people in here you could testify to the same thing in your journey. You kept bumping into Jesus long before you ever surrendered to him, long before you had a lot of your beliefs figured out. It kind of reminded me of something. I read a book recently by a guy named Rodney Reeves, who's a, a Baptist seminary professor, and, and he, he wrote a book called Spirituality According to Paul. And he writes this. He said, The earliest reputation of the church, the first things Christians were known for were hospitality and their strange way of worship. Eighty years after the death of Christ, Pliny the Younger the Roman governor of Bithynia, complained to Caesar about a growing menace, Christians who assembled on Sunday in order to sing a hymn to Christ as if they were singing to a god. Even back then, this practice seemed off. <laughs> you got this. 80 years after, after the, the death of uh, the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, there's this Roman governor who's like, I don't get it. There's these crazy people in, in, in our area who are coming, meeting in homes and, and singing songs to this God. He goes on to say, even uh, of course, in those days, singing praise to human rulers was a common occurrence. Caesar was more than willing to receive such accolades. And songs of praise were offered in temples to gods all over the empire. But to gather in a room, like a home, not a temple, a home without an idol, by the way, and to sing to one another as offering praise to God was considered bizarre. In the Roman mindset of that time, okay, yeah, it was, it was, you could go to a temple and you could sing a song to, to one of the gods in the temple around an idol, but to, to gather in a home on a Sunday morning without an idol, that's crazy talk. And to sing as if God, this God you couldn't see was actually there? And especially to Pliny, what these Christians were singing was even more peculiar. Imagine Pliny's confusion when he hears that some Gentiles in his province are gathering on a certain day to worship a Jewish Messiah who was crucified. 
Just one man among thousands who were put to death by Rome. No wonder Pliny was suspicious of these people. It must have seemed to him like they'd lost their minds. <laughs> you know, this week I, I met with our worship ministry people, and, 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 and I, I, I mentioned this idea of worship. Isn't it great to get together and worship here on a Sunday morning? But it's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, is there any other place in your life where you get together with other people and sing on a regular basis? I mean, I'm a musician, and occasionally I do practices, you know, that aren't worship, and so I play gigs outside of the church sometimes. So I, I, I do that, but that's kind of my line of work a bit. There's nowhere in, in, in modern society where you get together with other people and sing outside of singing Happy Birthday or patriotic songs around the 4th of July, maybe Christmas carols, or if you're a Saints fan, stand up and get crunk, right? We don't really count that as singing, though. That's a, uh, that's a chant. Here we come to get you. Uh, what's the name of that group? Who does it? Anybody know that? Yang Yang Twins. Yes. I love seeing little white ladies <laughs> chanting to the Yin Yang Twins. It just <laughs> makes my heart smile. <laughs> uh, but there's nowhere in our world where we just get together and sing with people. It's crazy. And yet, we see the early church was known for worship and hospitality. They would gather to, together to sing to God as if he were there. But they were also hospitable. You know, in the last 20 years, there's been a, maybe last 30 years, there's been a movement in churches called the Seeker Movement. And a lot of churches realized back in the 80s that many of the things that they were doing were keeping people away from church because it sounded kind of churchy. It was a little, church was becoming a bit of a subculture. And so a lot of churches said, you know what we need to do? Instead of just uh, doing all this Bible study, we need to just do relevant messages about success. And, and instead of worshiping so much, we'll just do kind of inspirational songs. And, and so the church became much more hospitable, but less worshipful. On the other end, there's a group of people that really uh, didn't care too much for being the hospitable part. They, they loved worshiping God. They loved praying. But, but they did it in such a way that, that put barriers up to outsiders. Maybe you've attended a church like that before. I certainly have. But the early church, they were doing this crazy, ludicrous thing, gathering in homes without an idol, singing songs to a God they believed there, to a king who was crucified by the Roman Empire. And yet, people were welcome among them. They were doing it in such a way that invited people in. Kind of reminds me of the church that this lady talked about up in Chicago. See, one of the fundamental things about the church all out through history, going back to the beginning, is that the church is, is the people of the presence of God. That, that's one of the fundamental things that makes the church the church, that sets Christianity apart from every other religion, is that we truly believe God is with us. God is present. Now, back we, last week we celebrated uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if we back up to the to the day Jesus was crucified, the, the gospels tell us that there was something interesting that happened in in, in the temple 
the veil was ripped in two. There was this big old thick curtain, size of a phone book, you know, that thick. And, and on the day that Jesus was, was dying on the cross, when he breathed his last breath, the veil was ripped in two. Now, that veil separated people from the Holy of Holies. There was this part of the temple that only the high priest could go into. You had to be a, a very, uh, in, in, the, in the priest group, and then you, you had to be the high priest. And then you could only go in once a year. And then, to make it even worse, when you went into the Holy of Holies, you had to wear some bells on. And, and your friends would, would hang out outside. And if they stopped hearing the bells moving, they knew you were dead because you did something wrong in God's presence. And they tied a rope to your leg and they'd pull you out. The presence of God up to this point had been something that very few people throughout the history had encountered. God would show up in the Old Testament uh, and, and certainly sometimes His presence would be upon people to do great acts like Elijah or Elisha. But then his presence would be lifted. We see the day that Jesus was crucified, the, the, the curtain was ripped. God's presence was open for everyone. And I talked last Sunday about uh, Jesus when on, on the day he's resurrected, he goes and finds his disciples. And what does he tell them? He tells them, guys, I, I got to go back to, to heaven but I want you guys to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send my spirit. You're going to be endued with power from on the high. And so go and wait in Jerusalem. So if you, if you follow the gospel of Luke, it's, it's kind of uh, one book, and, and Luke continues his book in the book of Acts. He writes the book of Acts, which is the story of the church. And so the, the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem, and 40 days after the Passover, which was the week when Jesus was crucified, there's another Jewish festival called... Um, the festival of first fruits. And on this festival, like Passover, there was a lot of people in town. It was kind of like Mardi Gras again. Uh, there was, it was a, a huge crowd. And on that day, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples are gathered up in this upper room and all of a sudden God's spirit comes down upon them. They start coming out of this room into the streets and they're speaking in, in different languages and everybody can hear the works of God in their own languages. How cool would that be? And in the midst of all this, Peter gets up and delivers a message. He's trying to explain what's going on because nobody has a grid for it. This is just crazy stuff. <laughs> There's a lot more crazier stuff. There, <laughs> people saw like fire upon people's heads. It was just, it was nuts. And so Peter tries to get up and offer some kind of explanation. And what does Peter say? He says, this is what was prophesied by a guy named Joel in the Old Testament, that in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I'll pour out my spirit on your, your men servants and your maid servants. Now, I have to admit that my my early years as a Christian were spent around a lot of kind of charismatic Pentecostal groups of people. And so I heard this, this prophecy from Joel mentioned on, on a regular basis. But I didn't realize back then how crazy it was. Do you realize up to that point in history, if you'd been a woman, you wouldn't have had any chance to, to be... Women weren't allowed to be priests. Women weren't allowed around the presence of God. And God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your son's... And your daughters. Do we have any sons in here today? Daughters? And what are the rest of y'all? <laughs> Clones? Uh, 
<laughs> he says, I'm going to pour. There's a day coming where I'm not going to confine my presence to just a select group of guys. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Young, old. He says something more radical. Your men servants and your maid servants. That's just a fancy way of saying your, your guy slaves and your girl slaves. That time in the world, if you were a slave, how many rights did you have? None. <laughs> you were a slave. You didn't, not only did you not get to participate in the temple, you didn't get to participate in anything. You were just a slave. God says there's coming a day where it doesn't matter where you've been born, what family you're in. It doesn't matter. You're going to be a bunch of lucky bums, like I said last week. I'm giving my spirit to anyone. And we see that, that in the second chapter of Acts, that's exactly what happens. The church, most, most Bible scholars and theologians say that was the birthday of the church. And from that point on, you can read the book of Acts. The story of the early church is a, is a, is a story of people with God's presence, a group of people who have God's presence in their midst. Sometimes when God shows up, they see amazing things like prison doors opened, people getting healed, people getting set free. Other times it's not so glamorous, but, but the thing that characterizes the early church is they're a group of people who realize that God's presence is among them. The Apostle Paul writes this in, in Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple and in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. See, as crazy as it looked to folks like Pliny that this group of people would gather in a home and they wouldn't have an idol, it makes perfect sense when you see it through the lens of what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you don't need an idol. God is in your midst. You don't need a temple because you're it. God is forming each of you, our relationships with one another. God wants to dwell in our midst. I think that's one reason why worship is, is, is so key to the Christian life. Not just worship you in your car driving down listening to K-Love, but worship where I'm committing to come and getting with other people and singing to Jesus. God shows up in a special way. You may have felt Him here this morning. As we sang, we are being built, built together to become the dwelling place of God's Spirit. Well, I want to say a few things about the presence of God. If we are to be a people of God's presence, what does this mean? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that God is always with His people. If you have... have decided to follow Jesus, if you've trusted God with your life, guess what? The presence of God is with you. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The reality is, for every Christian, we're already with Jesus. We got God's presence. 
God's presence is in us and we are seated with Him in heavenly places. Say, God is with me. God is always with His people. Now, this is key. This is, this is something that I think a lot of Christians struggle to understand, that, that no matter what you feel or sense, if you have trusted your life with God, you have His presence. You're as holy today as you're ever going to be, as loved today as ever you're ever going to be, and you are with God right now. Now, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that, but that's the truth, whether you acknowledge it or not. You are with Jesus. Secondly, there's the manifest or felt presence of God. This is the perceptible and evident sense or feeling of God's presence. I'm a big fan of that one. I'm a big fan of feeling God. It's, it's good when you can feel God, right? That's, I, I love that. I, in fact, I, I, I could say that, that in my spiritual journey, there have been a few occasions where I, I've experienced God in a powerful and profound way. You know, two years into my walk with God, I, I, I was ready to give up. I was trying real hard to be a good person. You ever try real hard to be a good person? How's that working for you? <laughs> I was trying. I was given this Christianity the best thought that I could give it. You know, I figure in the world I had, you know, lived for the other side with all my heart. I figured I'd try to live for Jesus with all my heart. But to me, that meant that I needed to read the Bible a whole lot. So I was reading the Bible three, four, five chapters a day. I was spending an hour in prayer. When I'd go take a shower, I'd put on worship music. I'd go up to the church whenever the doors were open, and I would pray, and I would serve, and I was involved in this ministry and that ministry. And I thought all of those things would bring transformation on the inside. But what did they get me? After two years, I was ready to give up. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore, God. He was like, I was wondering when you were going to figure that out. (laughs) And there was one Sunday morning where I said, God, if something doesn't happen to me tonight, man, I'm going out to a bar and I'm going to hook up with somebody. I can't do this. This is no fun. Got to have some relief here. And that morning, at the end of a church service, I came up for prayer. And at the particular church I was going to at the time, there were some people that liked to pray really loud and crazy. So I had the loud and crazy prayers for me. Nothing happened. <laughs> like, and then somebody came up, and, and I, I stood to this day, I don't know who prayed for me. I didn't hear what they prayed. Just softly, they prayed for me. The, 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 the presence of God came upon me. I, the, the Holy Spirit touched me in a profound way. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm lying on the floor. And... God, I'd never gone to counseling before. I'd never heard of any counseling kinds of things before. But all of a sudden, God begins to show me stuff from, from when I was a teenager, some issues that had happened that, that had caused me to not trust God or trust other people. It's like a free therapy session while I'm there on the floor. And, and I, saw that, I saw this picture of like a heart that was ripped in two. And, and I saw these hands of Jesus, on the, this, this picture of Jesus' hands on the cross. And all of a sudden, he came down, his hands came off the cross and he grabbed my heart and he put it back together. And when I got up 20 minutes later off the floor, I tell you, I, I needed somebody to drive me home. I, I felt like it was, I was like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> I didn't see that coming. 
And it was kind of like when I went home, it was, I remember it being the fall, but it was like that scene in The Wizard of Oz where everything goes from black and white to color. It was like, I could hear Louis Armstrong singing, I see trees green. I was like, this is awesome. I had never felt that way before. And for the first time in my, in my Christian walk, I felt the nearness of God's love, the, the grace of God. I, I felt like God finally said, I'm glad you finally figured out you can't live this Christian life. Let me take over. <laughs> let me take it from here. And so in that, that moment, I, I let go. Please silence your cell phones. No, just kidding. <laughs> So at that moment, I, I, I changed because I had an encounter not just with the, uh, with, I mean, with the manifest felt presence of God, and, and He touched me, He changed me, and that was pretty hot because to this day I've never experienced God like that before again, and I tell you what, I sh- I surely wanted to after that. I mean, I was like, this is this is great. I got to get more of this, and I remember after that moment. I spent the next couple of years trying to, to get that feeling again. And I, I went from to, to this worship thing, this revival, this conference. And, and I experienced God in some powerful ways again. Never like that. And I remember I kept seeking these experiences of the presence of God, these, these powerful experiences. And sometimes I'd get them, but many times I'd go back to ordinary life and it seemed kind of ordinary Seemed kind of normal. I wanted the, the, the mountaintop thing. I wanted that, that profound experience with God again. There are times when God shows up that way. And here at this church, we, we believe in that. We want, we want God's presence to show up in a, in, a, in a powerful way. When you come up here for prayer, we say, come Holy Spirit. We invite God. Why do we do that? Because we believe when we ask that many times God will show up. And so we've prayed for people here at the church who needed to encounter the love of God, and they have. We've prayed for people that needed to be healed, and they have been. Physically, sometimes emotionally, God shows up, and we believe in that. But I want to say this. You don't build your experience. You you, you don't build your faith on that stuff. Because the, the temptation is to, to look at that as a badge or, or some kind of, of you know, uh, gauge of your maturity as a Christian. Oh, I've had that experience and uh, God really loves me and, and loves me real good. Well, the, the problem is you start basing your stuff on that and your Christianity is going to go like this. Whenever you sense God's presence, whenever you feel God's presence, God loves me. But then when you don't, oh, God must be mad. This must, it kind of confirms everything I thought about God. Maybe I just need to stay away from him and, until he shows up again. That's the way I used to feel. So there's the truth that God is always with his people. There's the manifest or felt presence of God. Then there's the deliberate consciousness of God's presence when one's mind and heart are actively set upon the Lord. There's a great difference between the felt presence of God and the deliberate consciousness of His presence. To be conscious of His presence is to be intentionally aware that He is with you and in you. How do you become deliberately conscious of God's presence? 
by simply placing your attention upon him. As the psalmist writes, to be still and know that God is. To be intentionally conscious of his presence. Frank Viola, an author, wrote this. He says, the Lord is always with us, but we can go about our busy day and never once acknowledge or think about him. You can set your mind on earthly things and never once be conscious of the Lord who indwells you. On the contrary, by setting your mind and heart upon him, you can become actively conscious of his presence. The secret to spiritual formation is to be conscious of God's presence as much as possible. See, part of, part of the presence of God is learning to turn our attention towards Him, to acknowledge the truth, the reality that He is present. Now, think of it like this. Everybody in here, as far as I can tell, has a nose, right? But until I just said the word nose, most of you... We're not living with a conscious awareness of your nose, even though it's right in front of your face, right? I mean, it's, it's right there. You can even see part of it, maybe. Depend, some of you can see a lot of it. Depend, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> because you got big eyes, not, not because, okay, no. But as soon as I say the word nose, now you might be thinking, oh, my nose kind of itches. I, you know, I've got that little zit I've been trying to work on. Uh, uh, hope my nose is clean. Uh, by turning your attention, you're, you become aware of your nose. The same way for, for God, that, that we turn our attention to it. We deliberately turn our attention. God, you are with me. Jesus, you are here. Lord, I need you. Simply by saying words like that, we turn our attention to the reality that we are with God and we become Aware of him. This is different than those times where God just kind of shows up and and you feel him. This is the discipline of saying, God, you're with me. You're right here. But I would say that this is at the core of our spiritual formation. Many spiritual writers of the past have stated rather strongly that to seek Spiritual delights is just as harmful as seeking worldly ones. And it's possible to fall in love with the sense of God's presence, but to fail to love God himself. Sometimes you can can worship worship. (laughs) Like, I love the way that I feel when I'm worshiping. I love that feet, that goosebumps. I, I love, oh, when they do that one song. Oh, man, I love the way that feels. We can find ourselves very easily drawn to worshiping worship, to to seeking these experiences instead of actually seeking God himself. There's one other thing I want to say. Many spiritual writers over the past centuries have, have written about a dark night of the soul. I don't think I've ever had one of those. I've had dark hours. But the dark night of the soul is a, is a time where you feel like God's presence is, is far from you. The felt presence of God is gone. 
In fact, many people who write about it, they say the only thing that keeps you from becoming a, an atheist is just based on your, your past experience of God. You're, 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 you're kind of going through the motions, but there's no sense of God's nearness at all. And people who have been through these things say it, it, it's horrible. But when they come out of the other side, they, they realize that even that, God was in. I want to say this morning that you may be here and you may feel far from God. You may have, have followed God for, for many years, and yet you may be in circumstances right now that are trying. You may be thinking, God, where are you? Understand, the reality is, no matter what you feel, God is with you. He's here. He's in your life. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I have experienced times in my life where I can identify with the words of the psalmist. Surely darkness is going to... Surely I'm too far away from God. Surely this situation is too dark. I don't feel God's presence. And yet... When I get down the road, I can identify with what the psalmist says. Even the dark and the light, there's no difference to you. I can say with confidence that even in the most trying times of my life, when I didn't even think God was around, I look back now and I see He was there the whole time. He was moving in my life even when I was completely unaware of it. This is why we don't need to base our spirituality on certain experiences. Experiences are great. I love it when I experience God. But I don't base my journey anymore on that. Because I know that whether I experience these feelings of God or not, God is still with me. He's still the anchor of my soul. Look, you look at any, any person, hero of faith in the, in the Old Testament, whether it was Moses or David, Elijah, Jesus himself, they all went through trying times. David, on the run for his life for 10 years. Elijah, depressed after he'd won a battle and going to hide away in a cave. Jesus, in the wilderness, of temptation and the garden of Gethsemane, Paul in a prison cell. Christian journey, if you follow Jesus, it ain't always going to be easy. And sometimes we're tempted to think that because we hit these hard times, that God doesn't love us. He's not with us. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You're just as much with God right now as you were when things were going great. And some people need to hear that this morning. It will set you free. You are with Jesus. And He is with you. God's presence is deeper than any human sensation or perception. Well, how can we be a people 
of God's presence, a few closing thoughts. We cultivate a life of paying attention to God. This is practicing the presence, which you talked about a couple weeks ago, so I won't dig into that too much. Secondly, remember that it's a relationship. You know, when I get up in the morning, sometimes I have coffee with God. A cup of coffee, just go sit back on the back porch. And when I go out there, it's not to, to bring Jesus my laundry list of all these things that I need him to take care of. I just go out there. We got a really strange sound coming from the side of the stage. When I sit out there with, with God in the morning, it's just to be quiet, just to listen. Turn my attention towards him. Sometimes for me, it's sometimes sitting down is, is too distracting. So sometimes I got to take a walk. Sometimes it's mowing the lawn. <laughs> but it's cultivating an awareness of God. Okay, let's solve that. Secondly, remember that it's a relationship. You know, when I think of my, my relationship with my wife, when we first started dating, man, that was pretty hot. I mean, we, we were thinking about each other all the time. I was writing songs about her. I mean, I was inspired. And we started dating, and, and then she, she moved to Lafayette for a little while, and, and so we'd be on the phone all the time. I didn't even like talking on the phone, but I didn't mind talking on the phone for a couple of hours to her at a time. Uh, it was great. We, our experience of one another was, was amazing and full of life and hormones and all that stuff, right? <laughs> and then we got married. <laughs> I've, I've heard of all kinds of people who they say, oh, the first year of our marriage was amazing. My first year was like hell. I mean... <laughs> I got like three days in, into the honeymoon. I'm like, what in the hell did I sign up for? This is, this is, I didn't, I, I didn't think it was good. I thought, I love God. She loves God. How hard can this thing be? We love each other, right? I mean, within about a month or two, I thought, we, we're, there's no way that we're going to make it. We're going to be divorced, like, very quickly. We've been married now for 14 and a half years. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Okay. <laughs> clap starter. Yeah, we need clap starters. Uh, we're going to do a... That's a ministry we're going to get going here. <laughs> Nobody wants to be a clap starter. You kind of got to step out there. <laughs> What if I clap and nobody jumps in? Yeah, I was just stretching. There's a mosquito, a mosquito in here. Does anybody see that? But my relationship with my wife, I can say honestly, after 14 and a half years of being married, I love her more now than ever. I mean, we did finally, after about five years, we became friends. And uh, 
<laughs> but you know, there's as much as I love that 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 experience of newness of love, that the butterflies and the all that stuff we experienced before we got married and when we were engaged. As much as I love that, I wouldn't trade this for that. You know, I look at these programs, the reality TV showing, you know, this person hooking up with this person. And, and that stuff, is, it can be tempting sometimes. Like, oh, you know, I wonder what that's like. But, you know, I wouldn't trade what I have for that. That's not love. See, there's something in my relationship with my wife now. There's, there's, there's a peace in it. There's not insecurity. There's a sense of we're at home in each other's presence. Sure, we still have exciting experiences too but there's something more than just exciting experiences there's this reality that we live in and i think that's the same for our relationship with god yes there are experiences and those are great big fan but there's also this abiding sense of peace and love and joy that transcends our circumstances So we pray and expect God to show up in a manifest way. But we also know that regardless of what we feel, He's still with us. The final thing I want to leave you with this morning, and you can try this all week, practice praying very simple prayers throughout your day. You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought that to pray, you had to pray these very long things. Maybe you've grown up up in a tradition where people prayed prayers that you're like, I can never pray that prayer. (laughs) Or maybe you've got someone in your family that come Thanksgiving, they want to say that kind of prayer. And you're like, oh, dude, it's three (laughs) o'clock. Starving. (laughs) How about the God is great? God is good. Let us sing a verse. But practice praying simple prayers. Here's a few simple prayers. Say this with me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. That was pretty easy, huh? You can even remember that one. When you're going into a business meeting, Jesus, I need you. You know what you're doing? You're, you're acknowledging your need for Jesus. You're focusing on his presence. You're... you're, you're you're consciously turning your mind towards him. Jesus, I need you. One we do around the vineyard a lot. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are with me. Say that with me. Thank you that you are with me. I said say it with me and then I, I just kind of threw you all out. <laughs> Let's say it together. Thank you that you are with me. And finally, my life is in your hands. My life is in your hands. That's a great prayer. When you're sitting down to pay the bills and you realize like this column (laughs) doesn't have enough in it (laughs) to pay for this one. Thank you that my life is in your hands. When you're going to work. My life is in your hands. See, these simple little prayers can, can help reorient us to the reality, can help bring freedom to our life because we're acknowledging that we are with God, our need for God, and that He's here. 
And the reality is that, that when we begin doing this on a regular basis throughout the day, when we just let these simple prayers uh, kind of filter into our, our quiet times, whether we're driving around or in the grocery store line, it begins waking us up to the reality of God. And the truth is that as you practice this, you begin to experience God more in a felt way. Why don't you stand up and let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, this morning, we thank you for the reality that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No situation, nothing in heaven or on earth that can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. We thank you that that's the reality. Lord, that we are with you, that we dwell in you and you dwell in us. God, I pray the truth of that reality would set people free. Lord, help us to believe the good news that you are with us, no matter what we feel, that 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 is true. God, I pray particularly this morning for those who find themselves in some times right now where they feel like you're very far away. Lord, I pray, I pray that they would know your nearness, Lord. Know that that God is with you even in this. Even in this darkness, even in this drought, even in this struggle. Know that God is with you. Lord, our lives are in your hands. Lord, give us the grace in the week to come to turn our attention to you, to be a people, to be a presence. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. In this life. When trouble comes, there's a place we can go. We can hide in the promises that when trouble comes, it's when we grow. of change may blow your way there's peace in the middle of the storm there's peace in the middle of the storm there's peace in the middle of the storm there's no 
mercies new for us today is peace in the middle.